Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Title for today is God Reverses Our Mistakes. Anybody make a mistake this week? <laughs> You're in the right place. <laughs> Wait till you hear this one. Uh, God reverses our mistakes, Joshua 9, 16 to 27. Did you ever try to reverse a mistake? You ever try to turn a mistake into a positive? I was thinking about this, and I, I remembered something that happened. I think I was a senior in high school, and uh, I was uh, working on the farm, and my dad asked me to go start chopping hay. And, and what, what it is, is I would take the hay chopper out, the, the hay is mowed down, and you'd bring the hay chopper out, and you chop it, and it shoots it into the wagon, and after the wagon is full, my dad was coming and getting the wagons, trading wagons with me, taking them back, putting them into the silo, and uh, that's what the cows would eat over the winter, and so I was chopping hay. Now, when you chop hay, you're supposed to sit kind of sideways on the tractor and watch, and you look one eye forward, you know, watching where you're going, because you keep the wheel right next to the, the row of hay, which would bring the hay chopper right in line. And the other one you're supposed to kind of watch behind you, too, and make sure the hay's shooting into the wagon and everything's okay. Well, I get deep in prayer, you know. Uh, <laughs> all right, I daydream. I really daydream. I, I, I start daydreaming, and, and I'm driving along, and I'm just kind of looking forward and kind of not paying attention. And, and I did seemed like the wagon was extra heavy, getting extra heavy. I'm on the last row back and when it's, the wagon's going to be full. And, and I did feel like it was extra heavy. I'm like, wow, I must have put a lot in this wagon. But I, not enough to register to turn around and look back. So I finished the whole load. I come on the row and I turn around and I see my dad start coming down the lane with the empty wagon going to trade. And I see him coming. And so I look back and I'm getting ready to unhook. There's a rope we'd pull and let go of the wagon. But I noticed the wagon was tipped funny. I'm like, what in the world? And I get off and I go back and it was missing a wheel. The front wheel was missing. I, and so the wagon was like tilted because it's full, full of hay silage, you know, and it's tilted. And I'm like, oh, I lost a wheel. And I look back and I lost it a long way back. Like far. It was about a quarter mile. The long field, about a quarter mile back, I see the wheel. I'm like, oh. and I, I know I'm supposed to be watching this wagon, right? I'm like, my dad's coming, and I'm like, I better go get that wheel. And so I go running back, and it's about a quarter mile. And I, I was in pretty good shape, and there's a lot of adrenaline, right? And I'm zooming back, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll just tell him. I'll get the wheel. I'll roll it back to the wagon, and I'll tell him it just fell off. You know, no big deal. So I'm, I'm rolling it back, rolling it back. And I, as I'm rolling it, I noticed there was a little rut. And the further I got, it got deeper. And pretty soon, by the time I got to the wagon, it was a ditch, you know? Because it had dug a, a, whole, a ditch right down the middle of the field, this, the wagon where the wheel was supposed to be, the, the axle and all that. And it left this huge ditch. And I'm thinking, uh, my dad's going to see this. So I put the wheel next to the wagon. I start kicking at the dirt. No, you know, my dad's coming. It's a, it's a ditch, right? He's going to see this. And I'm like, I'm dead. I'm dead. Because... You don't want to mess with farmer's equipment, right? And uh, they, have, they can get very temperamental about that and have bad tempers. And so I'm like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I don't know. So I'm just standing like, I'm going to have one chance to survive this. I'm going to have one chance, one chance. I'm looking at this big ditch, and I'm like, and, and my dad comes. And then I see him. He's standing up looking, trying to figure out, what did, what did Chucky do this time? You know, he's coming fast. You know, and he pulls up, and he's like, I could see his face. He's like, what in the world? And I said, I have one chance. I said, Dad. Remember you said you were going to plow this field up in the spring? I just thought I'd get a head start on it for you. He didn't laugh. 
He didn't laugh, but he didn't kill me either. I survived. I survived for another day. Uh, you know that he, he still talks about that one. Uh, but but I was trying to make spin something. But we're going to see today that God does a much better job with the mistakes we make, with the messes we make of our life. He doesn't just spin. You know, try to spin right. He actually can bring something positive out of any mess in our life. No matter what we've done with our life, no matter what we've done, he can bring a positive out of anything if we let him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for the worship that turned our eyes off of our mistakes and onto you this morning. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word. Lord, every one of us is here for a, your specific reason. And I pray that your spirit would speak through your word now and help us take a step forward in our, our journey of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before I read the passage, the review is we uh, listen to the CD or get the podcast if you missed the last couple, but but. Basically, we've been talking about the Gibeonite deception. Remember the Gibeonite deception? And how they tricked the Israelites. They, they, the Israelites were supposed to drive all the Canaanites out of land, but they tricked them, said, oh, we're from far away. They make a deal. They make this, this, this treaty, and they trick them. So now they're stuck with these Gibeonites there. And we talked about how that was a, the, the negative type of it is that it, it's a, they were deceived by the Gibeonites just as we're deceived by Sin. Remember we talked about that? But there's also a positive type to this story, a a positive picture. When I say a type, it's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality for today. And there's a positive type to the story that we're going to see today. Joshua 9, it's picking up with verse 16. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kepharah, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do. We will let them live so that wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. The Gibeonites recently made the news. Have you, did anybody see it in the news recently? No, connect the dots. Whenever you see the news, connect the dots here. Uh, they made the news, but the media missed them. They left their name out, but they were there. The media missed it. What a surprise. Uh, let me read you this, this article, which I thought was really good. It says, missing Canaanites in plain sight, the media needs to read their Bibles. They probably don't even know what that is. Uh, by Eric Metaxas. Eric Metaxas, a lot of you know him, Breakpoint Ministry. Listen to this. We heard a lot about fake news this year, and last week we were treated to a flurry of fake news aimed at the reliability of the Bible. A study published in the American Journal of Human Genetics reported that DNA from a 3,700-year-old Canaanite remains were closely matched to that of a modern Lebanese. Right, so there's a modern human in Lebanon that matched very, very close to the genetics of someone from Can- a Canaanite 
3,700 years ago. In other words, a major biblical people are alive and well still living in the region. Uh, then this is the way the media spun it. Study disproves the Bible's suggestion that the ancient Canaanites were wiped out, trumpeted the UK Telegraph. ABC Online reported, Canaanites survived biblical slaughter, ancient DNA shows. Even Journal Science said, ancient DNA counters biblical account of the mysterious Canaanites. Science soon issued a correction saying, the story and its headlines have been updated to reflect that in the Bible, God ordered the destruction of the Canaanites, but that some cities and people may have survived. <laughs> some may have, uh, he says here, may have. Uh, these reporters might want to reread their Bibles or read them for the first time because far from claiming the Canaanites were wiped out, Scripture records in numerous places that large Canaanite populations survived and thrived in the region. Um, as Evolution News pointed out, the first chapter of Judges lists all the places in Israel where the Canaanites persisted, for they, the Israelites, did not drive them out. Remember, we talked about that. They weren't obedient. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. In the next chapter, God rebukes Israel for not driving the Canaanites out. Some, now here, there's more to the story, some Canaanites, like Rahab, who hid the spies at Jericho, converted to the Hebrew religion and were incorporated into Israel. And in Joshua 9, we learn that the entire Canaanite city of Gibeon tricked Israel into a peace treaty. Oh, here I go. I didn't sleep enough. And its people were allowed to stay. Even in the New Testament, in Matthew 15, we read of a Canaanite woman, supposed to be wiped out according to the media, right? Canaanite woman who begged Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter. He famously rebuffs her twice before seeing her great faith in granting her request. And here's the best one. And according to the genealogies of Matthew and Luke, know where I'm going? Jesus himself had Canaanite DNA. As he was descended from David through Jesse, Obed, and Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Jesus has Canaanite DNA. He came in, in the form of, of, of humans, sinful humans. He didn't sin, but he took on our DNA. And, he, and so Metaxas ends up really good. Uh, he wrote two takeaways. First, Archaeology continues to reinforce key elements of biblical history. Second, you can't always believe what you read in the press, particularly when it comes to the Bible. Open up the Bible and do your own fact check. Reporters miss things, but the story of our faith was authorized by a perfect God who, unsurprisingly, never has to retract the word. So there you have it. In the news, watch the news, read the news. Well... Be careful what you read. But, but when you do, watch. Whenever they attack the Bible, go to the Bible. It's amazing the stories that they miss in the Bible. So Israel, back to Israel, back to Joshua 9. They made a rash oath. It was a big mistake, but they knew they had to keep it. Why? Because they promised in God's name. Exodus 20, verse 7, one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. 
For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. In our culture, we tend to use that as uh, don't curse. Don't use his name in cursing, which is true. We shouldn't. That is applicable. But the main application, the main meaning of it is in, it, in Israel, they would take oaths. And they would take him in God's name. And if they took it, they better keep it. If they didn't keep that promise, they were misusing God's name. That's the primary meaning. We must keep our promises to God and man. Very, very serious in God's sight. Very serious. And this oath was very serious. In fact, in 1 Samuel 21, Saul didn't keep this oath. Saul, who was disobedient and let the Amalekites live and let disobedient all the time, he became overzealous. And look what he says. Look what it says. Look what happened here. 2 Samuel 21. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. Huh, a famine. Not because of global warming. I mean climate change. But because God was in charge of the weather. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The, Israel had, the Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul and his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? So Saul didn't keep the oath. He tried to wipe them out. He didn't exterminate them, but he tried. And it cost him his heritage. Seven of his descendants were executed because of his sin, because of what he did. But that's a whole other part of the story here. But the point here is that keeping promises is, is very serious to God. It's so easy to rationalize, right? We often do it, you know. Oh, it's just a handshake deal. It's not personal, it's business. <laughs> I found a better price, so it's better good stewardship not to to honor the deal I just made. Or they cheated me. They way overcharged me. But we all know that two wrongs don't make a right. Right? Uh, things have changed. I've changed. This person no longer fulfills me. Bankruptcy. Not, I'm not talking about bankruptcy that you have to declare to protect yourself so that you can pay back your loans. But there's another, the other kind that people use to just get out of their debts. That, that part... Uh, we, a lot of people use it to just get out of their debts and never pay back again. I had a, a couple in my church years ago, and I'll never forget it. They came and they, and they started coming to our church, and they were very having a hard time financially, and they gave me their sad story, and, and, and I, it sounded so real. I was young in the ministry at this time. It was my first church. And uh, so I, I loaned them $500. They just were desperate states. I loaned them $500. Back then, that was a lot of money. It's a lot to me now, but back then it was even worth even more, right? And uh, I'll never forget, they weren't able to pay back, and I was just, it's okay, we'll be patient. And then I heard they went to Disney World. And I confronted them. I said, oh, I'm just confused. I thought you were desperate financially. I loaned you $500, which is a lot of money to me. And then I heard you went to Disney World. Yeah, we did go. We did go. We, we want to do something for the family, the kids. I'm like, 
how could you do that? I go, I can't afford to go to Disney World, and I'm not in desperate straits. I can't afford to go. What are you doing? It turns out this couple were really kind of scam artists in a way. they Christian scam artists. They're, they're out there. And they would just keep asking for money, asking for money, and getting money. And, and they had declared bankruptcy multiple times, never paying it back. Not the bankruptcy to protect themselves so they could pay. Just to get out of it. It was unbelievable. They never did pay me, and they didn't stay in the church. Uh, but uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, that that's very important that we keep our promises and pay back what we need to pay back. In fact, in Psalm 15, it says this. In Psalm 15, verse 1, listen to this. Very convicting. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary and who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Will we keep our promises even when it hurts? We must keep our promises and persevere through the consequences. Because God's trying to teach us something, right? Maybe he's trying to teach us not to make a quick oath. Not, not to make a quick deal. Pray through something. Think about something. That's what Israel didn't do, remember? He's trying to discipline something. He will use that time to discipline and refine us. What, made us, what led us to make the dumb decision in the first place, right? Very important that we, we keep our word and go through God's discipline process, even when it hurts. Now for the rest of the story. Back to Joshua chapter 9, the rest of the story. Verse 22, Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you, while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gabonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Wow. He says, why did you do this? And look what they said. We, we all heard. And remember Deuteronomy, back when God said, I want to put the fear of, the, of my fear on the entire nation. And that's what happened. They knew all about it. The Israelites were faithless many times. They wouldn't take steps of faith. And yet here was the enemy had some kind of faith, right? But, but look what they did. But this really shows us something. Any nation that throws itself on God's mercy will be spared. Jeremiah 18, 7-10 says this. Verse 7, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. 
And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. Two messages for the USA Today, huh? The first one is, God has established this country, but he's probably reconsidering. But the good news is, if we repent, there's still hope for this country. Revival or judgment. But any nation that throws itself at God's mercy can be spared. And the same thing goes for individuals too. Anyone, no matter what you've done in your life, whatever we've done in our life, whatever mess we've made, whatever sins we've committed, no matter who we've hurt, any one of us can humble ourselves and cast ourselves on God's mercy. Anybody. I mentioned that Canaanite woman earlier. Let's just look at what she did. Matthew 15, verse 21. A beautiful, great picture of what I'm talking about. An individual casting themselves. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus was testing her and exposing something to the disciples that this woman had real faith. It's a great picture, this begging woman with her crumb faith, right? Anybody can come crawling to Jesus, our Joshua. And doesn't your heart just go out to these Canaanites, these, these Gibeonites, when they were like, we just were trying to survive. We heard about your God. We know what he can do. They touched God's heart, and were spared. And not only spared, but look what happened to them. They were made temple servants, where they saw true worship. They got a front row seat. And while they were there, they turned away from their idols, and they turned to the one true God. And they converted and ended up in a place of honor. When the temple was built, they were there. They were 
serving in the temple. And the reason this is such a powerful picture is the Gibeonites are a picture of each one of us. We are the Gibeonites. We start out as God's enemies. Read Romans 5. We are God's enemies. We're under judgment. We're objects of wrath. But they threw themselves at Joshua's mercy. Their lives were spared. He saved them, and then he made them slaves, his slaves. We throw ourselves at Jesus' mercy. Joshua, Jesus, same exact name. And he saves us. He saves our life here, gives us a new life here, and he saves us eternally. He gives us eternal life. He saves us, and we become a servant of Jesus Christ. We become his slaves. Did you know that? When you put your faith in Christ, you're his slave. Romans 1.1, Paul says, first thing he writes in Romans 1.1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be a disciple and set apart for the gospel of God. A servant of Christ Jesus. The word in Greek is doulos, which literally means slave. That's a better translation. A slave of Jesus Christ. That's what we become. They, they became temple servants. We become the temple itself. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, where he says... We, we don't become servants in hell. We become the temple. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. For all that are the other sins a, a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Here we go. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you say, God, I repent of my sin, everything wrong I've ever done, sexual sin, all sin, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died on that cross to take my place, to take my punishment as a substitute for me, to ransom me. I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. The moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes inside. And you become a, the temple. The Holy Spirit's living in you, just like the Spirit lived in the temple. The Holy Spirit lives in each one of us, and we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us. And he, and he makes us a new person. And he sets us free from slavery to the world, to sin, to Satan. And he makes us a slave of Jesus Christ. And that's an awesome place to be. Because we get a new life. The life we were always meant to live. A real life. Because we're following Jesus. And he wants what's best for us. He wants us to, to fulfill our, our purpose and our potential. And the Gibeonites are a picture of each one of us wild. And also there's a lesson for each one of us. A really, really important lesson for every one of us. Israel made a big mistake. But in the end, the Gibeonites became a blessing to them spiritually. They ended up becoming a blessing God reversed their mistake and he brought something good out of it. He brought something beautiful out of it. And it's an important, important, very vital lesson picture for us here. When we mess up, if we will stay faithful to God through the discipline process, 
If we'll honor our, our, our vow and we'll stay faithful to them through that discipline process, then God will bring something good out of our mistake, out of the mess we've created. It, it's a promise in Scripture, Romans 8, 28. How many times have we got to say it? For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God will bring good out of it. He will turn it into something good. He, he'll, he'll do it. We must do our part. God will do his. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you feel like you made a big mistake. Will we keep our promise? Will we be faithful to our spouse? Will we learn from the discipline? Maybe we married someone we weren't supposed to marry, even biblically, right? Will we, be, will we learn from the discipline and, and hold on to the promise that God promises to bring something good out of it? Maybe it's a business deal that we've got to be you know, faithful. Maybe it's repaying a loan. You fill in the blanks. There's a million things. Maybe it's teenagers. Maybe it's keeping a commitment. Maybe it's a prom date. You say yes to one and send the person you really wanted to go ask. And you know, no, I'm going to stay. I'm going to do that. Maybe it's a team. You've committed to a team and, and it gets really tough and you want to quit. But like, no, I'm going to stick with this. Uh, maybe I'll talk to the millennials, the young adults. Uh, what, what do they say about millennials now? Millennials don't keep their word. You know, you can't count on them to keep a commitment. And, and uh, uh, whether it's, you know, I want to encourage millennials, be, de- be different from the world. Be dependable. Whether it's work or whether it's ministry or whether it's you make a, a commitment to be somewhere and last minute you change your mind. I've got millennials in my house. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, last minute opportunities. You know, you, you can't, you got to, you say you're going to be somewhere, show up to that place, you know. Uh, return text, you know. You know, that's a commitment. I, I, this, is, this is what I get about the millennials. If, if, if you text them, they never write back. They might, they might not, you know, they might write back, they might not, you might never hear from them. But if they text you, and you don't text them back, guess what? They text you again, then they text you again, then they text you again. I live with them, I know what I'm talking about. And, and, and I say, why when I write you, it's not a big deal, but when you write me, i got to drop everything and boom, 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 right? Yeah? But, but th- it's, it's about, you know, we can't, can't have that self-centered, it's got to be keeping our word and keeping our commitments, Right? Anyway, that's enough of that. How is, how is God talking to us? How is God talking to us? What commitment do we need to keep, even if it hurts? How is God disciplining me through this? Will I learn my lesson? Will I persevere through my le- spiritual lesson? Will we hold on to God's promise that he will bring something good out of the bad. No matter how bad it is, he will bring something good out of it. Romans eight twenty eight. Once again, I hope you have this memorized. I don't know how you get through the day without it. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Will we hang on to that promise? We've, I've been through this. A lot of areas, but especially, you know, what just happened with us a couple months ago with Ryan. But a lot of people are like, oh, it's so bad what happened to Ryan. But I'm like, that, Ryan's death was terrible, but that was just the ending. We had seven years of hell. Seven years of hell. And many times, I wanted to quit. 
I wanted to quit Orion. I wanted to quit on parenting many times. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I bothering? Had tooth prodigals for a while. What's the point of this? I wanted to quit on marriage. We had a lot of stress. There were times when we were fighting it out over all this stuff, and we're like, what are we doing? I wanted to quit on ministry. God, what's the point of doing ministry if this is what I'm going to get? Doesn't work. What's the point of being a Christian? You ever feel that way? Why am I Christian? If this is what I get. Many times I wanted to quit. God and I had some long walks and talks. But we hung in there. We let God refine us. We let God humble us. We let God teach us. We let him grow us. And then we were able to connect, reconnect with Ryan. The last year of his life, we were able to really reconnect and have a really close relationship. Very, very close. And then he died. But God left us with a beautiful piece of Ryan, baby Laurel. And boy, did that, do I see Romans 8.28 every day. And out of the worst mess imaginable, God brought something beautiful out of that mess. And he, and he still is at it every day. He's still at it. And I'm going to have Kim just share. I, she was telling me a story this week. And I'm like, this is, you've got to share this at the end of my sermon because that's exactly what I'm talking about. And she said, oh, good, thank you. I love it when you ask me to share something. <laughs> We're doing better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is a story he wants me to share. Uh, Laurel has uh, therapy appointments weekly. This week was her physical therapy appointment on Friday, and she came in and we're talking. She tells me, you have no idea how great this baby's doing. She said, I take care of all these little babies with similar being born with opioid addiction. She said, she is so far passing everybody that I work with. She said it's a she didn't say it's a miracle. She said this is like amazing. She goes in a couple weeks or not I'm not going to be coming anymore. Um I was sitting there listening to her tell me all this and I was praying and God told me I had to tell her why we're where we are. And so when um I said to her I said when I found out um Laurel's mom was pregnant, I was really afraid. Uh, I knew what was going on in their lives at that time, and I was really scared for her. I didn't even know if she would make it to her birth. I, I didn't know. So I told her that I started praying for her right when I found out that um, she would be protected and that God would take care of her and that she wouldn't have the usual effects of what a baby would have being exposed to this. 
Um, I was talking with someone on the phone one day, and she said, uh, I, always, I would tell people this is how I'm praying, that God was just going to protect her. And um, we were talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you don't know the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow down to the idol, right? And so their punishment, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace, and I'm going to make it hotter than it usually is, hotter than it usually is. So they got thrown into the fiery furnace, and when they looked in, they saw four in the furnace, and it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the angel of God with them, or Jesus. Jesus. Um, <laughs> with them, and um, when Nebuchadnezzar saw it, he said, take them out. And I wanted to read this. Um, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around him. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And that's what I told this physical therapist. I said, I prayed that she wouldn't smell like smoke, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And honestly, she has had issues. I mean, it's not like she came out perfect and there was nothing wrong. She had to go through withdrawal. We did that with her. And she has had things. But at the end of the day, God has protected her from the worst. And he will continue to protect her. And I'm just so thankful that we have a God that we can come out of the fire not even smelling like smoke. God can reverse any mistake. He can bring good out of any mess we make if we give our lives to him. That's what the gospel's all about. God reversed all our mistakes on the cross. He paid for our sin. He reversed the curse. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If we repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ, he will forgive us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He will forgive us. And as we live, after we put our faith in Christ, as we live by faith each day, he will bring something beautiful out of the messes of our life. Little by little, as we live by faith every day, he'll bring something beautiful out of it. He's the ultimate junk artist. Let's pray. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you come to the cross for forgiveness and a new life in Jesus? No matter what you've done, no matter what you are today, it can be forgiven and you can become a brand new person in Jesus Christ with God's Spirit living inside of you. It takes a prayer of faith 
We're all beggars coming before Jesus. And he's never turned anyone away. It's a simple prayer. God, I turn away from the sin. I repent of that sin. Everything in my life that goes against your word and your will for me. Please forgive me. Wash me clean. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. My hope and trust in your son Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you have just been saved. Just as Joshua saved the Gibeonites, Jesus has just saved you. He has saved us from an empty life here and an eternity of judgment. He has saved us. The Holy Spirit is living in you and something radical has happened. I want to encourage you, don't leave today without telling somebody. Maybe you have a friend or family member here. Maybe you fill out the card or tell me or tell somebody. Let somebody know you've prayed that prayer of faith because we are going to be so excited for you. But also, you're going to get a lot of encouragement from whoever you tell. A lot of spiritual help. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What promise do we need to keep, even if it hurts? Maybe it's, I'm going to stay married to this person, or I'm going to keep on parenting this kid, or I'm going to keep working this job, or I'm going to finish this class or this course, whatever God's speaking to us about. What is God trying to do in our life? What discipline, what refining will we surrender and let him finish that? Will we hang on to the promise that God is going to do something beautiful? No matter how bad we've messed up, he can bring something beautiful out of that. Father, I pray for every one of us that you would give us hope and encouragement no matter what we're facing today. Maybe something we've done that's hanging over our head, Lord, that you would show us how to make it right 
and how to persevere and how to, to, to trust you. Pray that we keep surrendering and trusting you to bring your beautiful junk art out of this. I pray you give each of us a spirit of encouragement and hope today. In Jesus' name, amen.